I had so much fun doing tonight's interview. Um, we're going to meet Arthur Lorena. He's a senior full-stack developer, and he's going to tell us the story of how he first got into technology as the son of a um, uh, COBOL programmer in Brazil. How he moved, how he made the decision to move to Canada, how he came along, and why he chose the first employer that he took a job with when he got here. By the end of the interview, we're going to have a discussion about uh, the 10x engineer you sometimes might hear uh, talked about, and some of his thoughts on how you might become one of those uh, highly highly sought after engineers. I think the interview was really great. It was really enjoyable and um, I hope you I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you. Put you on there we go. Hello hey, hey. how are you doing? So we are recording okay okay and uh, I'm gonna rather than letting rather than just talking for a bit like I did with Kai, I'm going to tell you right away that this <laughs> is in fact an interview and we should not get sidetracked uh, by too much. So uh, with that said, how are you doing? Okay, overall, like better than expected. Like yeah. feeling, I mean, feeling tired as, as I've been for the last year. Because I think our mental health affects how we feel physically. Yeah. But other than that, I think I'm better than expected. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How about you? Um, pretty <laughs> good. I mean, it's it's Easter long weekend. I took a couple of extra days off. Um, so this is, uh, I have been off work since Friday and it's Tuesday now. So that's... Um, nice very relaxing in terms of um my this this thing that i'm doing this podcast thing is my current hobby and i'm like mm -hmm. obsessed with it i i love it and i've been sending emails to um people in the industry that i admire and sort of starting to starting to ask further afield like um people who i i no, well, actually, strangers, but strangers who I know work at places like Netflix and Google, and um, so in that respect, I'm I'm actually trying to expand outside of my immediate social circle a lot faster than I was expecting, um, because I think the maturity on those those responses will take longer to arrive so if i talk to somebody mm -hmm. in california and they say oh yeah sure i'm kind of interested or whatever or like yeah i would be willing to help you out and do this as a favor um i just think those things will take like someone like you and i who are mm -hmm. good friends we talk regularly um mm -hmm. it it's a lot easier and you are a lot more willing to say oh hey it's a tuesday night let's fire up a phone call and have a chat right so i yeah. think um that's why I'm, I'm starting to send, anyways, so that's, that's uh, what's going on. Um, before we start the um, 
more structured interview side of things. Why don't you, you give me a high level overview of, of sort of who, who you are um, and what you kind of do right now in a day to day? What's your job title? What does a typical work day or work week look like for you? And I'll be pulling up some of my questions on another screen while we uh, listen here. Sure. So uh, before we start, I'd like to just say that this podcast is a great idea, in my opinion, because this is a way for us to share details of our profession that go way beyond coding. Right. Because when you think of software developers, you immediately think coding. But it's so much more than that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a great idea to have this. Yeah. It's a great opportunity for us to show another side of, of the software development career. So Right, yeah. And so, yeah, I've been a developer for 15 years now. That's a lot longer than I thought it would be, actually. <laughs> I, yeah. My mind is a little blown right off the bat just <laughs> to show how little I know you. Like, I mean, I know oh. you're good. I know you're really, <laughs> really good, which is why I've asked you and why I think we get along so well. But that's about... 10 yeah. years longer than I had to pay for. So <laughs> well, luckily, really embarrassed. Yeah. yeah. I hope it's because I still look like younger than I actually yeah. am. So. Yeah, you're a child. Yeah. You're a child. Yeah, almost, yeah but I'm almost 38 now. So I'm wow, going to be 38 okay. pretty soon. Oh. So, but yeah, uh, I've started working as a developer still back in Brazil for 12 years. And then I moved to Canada recently, like two and a half years ago. Yeah. So yeah, my career there was mostly like 10 years, actually eight years working for the, how can I put this? The engineers regulatory entity. I don't know okay. uh, the equivalent here. So there's an engineering society that regulates how like the, the construction rules, uh, the code, all, all those things and uh, uh, that regulates the profession. So I was part of an IT department there. Uh, there were like 100 to 120 people total, but only yep. four to five in IT to support okay. the entire structure. Right. And everything we developed was for internal use. But imagine like setting up networks, servers, domains, coding like uh, databases, designing databases, web interfaces, providing technical support, answering yeah. phone, and then all of those things are you. Right, right. So it's not like you have developers, you have supports, you have call center. No, you do every, everything. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it might sound hard or maybe different from what I have here in bigger companies, yeah. but it gave me a broad experience, not deep, but broad. Yeah. I, right. I, I could have contact with all those areas, at least a little bit of each. And it helped me focus, focus on what I wanted to do, which is right. actually web development, like right. software development overall, but especially focusing on the web side of things. Okay. So it was, it was a great experience. So. Yeah. At this point, like I used to know all those Linux commands and all that, and yeah, I don't they know fade, those anymore. They fade, they fade with time if yeah. you're not using them yeah. any, every day. Okay, so so 
we we've got sort of a very and and we will get back to where you are today but i i want to go even further back than that i want to start like your very first memories of technology what what yeah where did you start where did you get the bug where did you where did you what are your first memories in technology actually it's a good story because my mom was a software developer like long time ago in the 1970s and 80s like yeah. coding in cobol natural so mainframe for uh the central bank there in brazil yeah. so i remember seeing those green screens and i was like this must be nice yeah <laughs> i wanted to type fast i saw people typing fast i want to do that as well and then i got my first computer i was third i was 14 at the time And then I saw the internet and I was like, this is nice. I want to do this. So we started yeah. can I, trying can to I, figure can out I, how to do HTML. And yeah. can, I, can I ask you a quick question? Um, what is, the, so this was, I think you said you were, if you're 38 now, you were 13 or 14 when you first got that computer. So uh, we're... Yeah, we're 87, 87 or so. 97. 97 or so. Yeah. Um, what, is, what is the economy of Brazil like at that time? Is, is a personal computer for a 13-year-old like the equivalent of buying a car? Or is it, so was that a, was that a huge gift or was it um, sort it was of more? pretty expensive Yeah, it, it was like buying maybe a very expensive MacBook here, like okay. today. So yeah, expensive but not insane, like not the price of a car. Right. But yeah, so not too many people had those. So I was lucky to have access to those things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know anything about coding. I didn't know that the whole thing behind software, like all the logic that was involved in that. So it. I actually started with HTML because I, I, I thought it was nice to have like, internet was so magical for me that I yeah. wanted to do something like this. So I started doing something there, but it wasn't until I, I entered, I started university that I actually started coding, like really coding. Right. So I had some contacts, but not with a profession, just with a machine. And I thought, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Right. So you did a uh, computer science degree or yeah. did you just do a handful of courses? A computer science degree. Computer yeah. science degree. And so you go through university. Um, now, I, I'm, I'm someone who <laughs> did the handful of courses. I did not do the full computer science degree. So it, in, from your perspective, what are the things that are most important that you learned going through a computer science course? Yeah, to be honest, like my experience, I don't think it was very good. I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to do it all over again. Like now, I think it was important to, to have been through that. But my course was too much theoretical. Yeah. Like way too much. So you had like five course courses like every four months and it was math physics some some other correlated thing and then one thing related 
the coding. And I was expecting something much more practical. So, yeah, I had a, a different focus. So they, they tried to develop your way of thinking, all the theory behind those things. So in the end, you have to learn like programming languages and frameworks, all those things by yourself. Yeah. But having that theory, it's important, like knowing, I don't know, how a zip file is generated, like all the algorithms related to that. It's interesting, depending on the career you choose. But, yeah. the, but overall, it was important. And the most important thing that I actually learned was in the end, when we have to write a monograph, and I chose something related to information literacy. So I got deeper on that area of, of information science. And then I realized that something we're going to talk later today, I'll talk about it later today, which is it's more important for you to know how to learn. Right. Instead of just knowing things, yeah. especially in our area, like things change. So rapidly. Every day, every, it's so rapidly. Because if, yeah. you, if you think, I know this language or I know this JS framework, next year you are uh, already obsolete. Yeah. So it, it's more important for you to know how to find solutions, how to find information, and then how to apply that properly. Right. So it's, it, was, it was my best lesson for from that period. Okay. Okay. So now we're, we're at the end of university. Um, uh probably 2003 i actually took some time to finish i started then i stopped when yeah. i started working so I, I was already a software already a software developer and then i thought i should finish that so you i went back it. and finished okay so i i, I started working at 2004 with okay. uh with, with software development but i just decided to finish in 2014 so i had a, a oh, gap wow. there Okay, so uh, you, yeah, you I, yeah, I dropped. I, couldn't, I, I worked. I learned a lot from the practical side of things. So everything I know for, about databases, for example, I learned by doing it. And then when I went back to the university and took the DB course, I was like, yeah, I know this. Yeah. So your grades must have been stellar on the other side of. Yeah, it helped a lot. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Ten <laughs> years. Ten years experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Okay, so you, you go to university for a bit, you learned a few things, you went to a career, and this is where you're in the engineering place? Yeah, so, okay. uh, and then when, as soon as I finished uh, my university course, I got another job. Like, I, I, was, I thought, I want to focus more, I want to now pursue a career, not to be stuck somewhere. You know, you know government, probably here is similar to there, like, you have so many ties uh, like you can't progress unless you have budget for that year or it doesn't matter what you do it's more the best best thing you get is like a pat in the back like good boy nice but <laughs> no raise no career progression yeah the streets are not paved with gold right and yeah. then you look around and people are like i don't know using their phones and drinking coffee and in the end of the month it's the same salary so because yeah. it's a public public position. So I was like, this is not a, what I want for me. I moved by goals. So I need to pursue something. Like I, I, I wasted too much time. Yeah. Just sitting here, not finishing my degree, not changing to a different job. So I was like, time to change. Right. So I got an, a, a, 
this second job, which was a company that developed software for a major bank there, like a public bank as well. So we also had some of those limitations, like career limitations. So it was a different kind of challenge, but it was where I had my first contact with Angular, which I love. I'm still which, refreshing now, my now knowledge which there. Version, which, which version of Angular was it? Did you start at Angular 1.0? Yes, yeah, yeah. Angular JS, Angular yeah. 1. So I started there. And at least it was more fast paced. And we were organized in Scrum, yep. Scrum teams, like agile teams using Scrum, Kanban, Kanban, how do you pronounce that? I don't know. Kanban? Uh, Kanban. Like, Kanban. Kanban. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So we used a lot of those uh, uh, agile methodologies and okay. it was a good growth there. But so, again, it didn't take me a lot of time to realize I was stuck again for the same reasons. Like, no, like the economy is in bad shape. We can't give promotions, we can't give that. So yeah, I had to move forward. Right. And then I, I decided to do a, a, a huge change in my life where I find, found myself in a country that didn't reflect my personal values. Yeah. And with so many things in bad shape, like economy, the crime rate, all this, I was like, no, this is not for me. I don't want to raise a kid in the future right. in this country. So I moved here. Right. So that's, now we're talking about roughly 2016. Um, Bolsonaro had just won or was... Or it, was, it was 2017 when we decided yeah. to move here, but those things were already taking shape. They, yeah, they had were... just impeached the, 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 the president like one year before. Yeah. And I was like, the situation is not good. So yeah. and then in 2018, he was elected there. Yeah. And now. Okay. And, I, so, and so you saw, you saw the writing on the wall and you said, you want to be somewhere else. Um, I'd, I'd like to take a little break and talk a bit more about your experiences in Angular itself, because this is this is I this is a place where I've played. I had um, a number of experiences with Angular 1.0, where where you know it's really good for small websites with a few dom elements that change and stuff but all of a sudden as, as your site sort of expands and you get more of these things you get into these really big high complexity uh page loops so why don't you why don't you take some time and talk about you said that you really like angular um what are the things that you really like about it what are you comparing angular to and Let's start there and we'll see if there are other questions that come out of that. Now, maybe yeah, no, we're in 2016. <laughs> yeah, 2017, 2017. Yeah. So I started with AngularJS at that time. And I think the best thing of AngularJS compared to the, the later versions is that you can just use that easily, just use Angular in a little piece, like a little yeah. part of your code. And maybe the best feature is a two-way data binding. Right. It's easy to connect your controller to your uh, view. Right. And so, so we had small systems, like it was, imagine banking systems, so yeah. internal systems. So you have okay. screens where you can like 
add records, edit that standard yeah. uh, workflow. Yeah. So for that, since we didn't have like huge modules or huge pages, it worked perfectly. So it, it worked really built, well. Yeah, in small components, like yeah. you went to, to deal with uh, client data or contracts. So you yeah. have contract management, client management, and all small pieces. Yeah. But as for the current versions, what I some things that I like about it. First, TypeScript. Yes. So nice to have a strongly typed language. Yeah. And when we compare to React, we see everywhere people talking about React, React, React. But I don't like that blend of uh, markup and yeah. logic. So right. when you go to Angular, you have your HTML file, you have your controller, you have your services, everything separated and taking care of their own business. Right, right. So those two things, TypeScript and organization. And, this, and, the, or, and, and project organization. Okay. And supported by a huge organization like Google. So it's not well, something like an adventure. It's something solid. Yeah, yeah. That's actually really, that's a really good point because I mean, um, one of the, one of the, yeah, um, one of the things that you have to worry about when you are choosing a framework for an enterprise client is, is this thing going to be bug free enough to work for them, mm -hmm. you know, to keep, to keep the website online um, and having Google behind it. it now, Google also kills a lot of projects, but Angular <laughs> stuck it through. Um, but in all fairness to React, Facebook is the one behind sure. React, right? So it's, so, you know, you can sort of count that one as, you know, they both get the check mark. Um, certainly the organization and structure is a really strong argument, um, but it's also an argument of preference because sure. our, yeah. our, our, I, I have front end developer friends who swear by the fact that having your CSS, your logic and your markup just in one place is superior to having to go here and here and here. <laughs> so that that kind of goes both ways there. Yeah, um, agree. But okay, so that's you know that's some interesting uh, interesting opinions there. Now we're at the bank. We're actually sorry you you have just uprooted and you've moved to Canada. How was that process for you? Well, I had looked at the immigration process, like express entry. Actually, it wasn't called express entry at the time. I, I took a look, like, how, how are things there? How, what should, what do I need to do to move there? Yeah. Like, in the proper ways, because uh, as you probably imagined at this point, like, I like, I like to walk on safe grounds. Yes. Like, government, a huge <laughs> bank. <laughs> And, and even here, a I work for a big... A true technical yeah. architect, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even here, I, you see that, at least right now, I don't work at a startup. I chose, right. I accepted a job offer from a solid company, yeah. a well-structured company. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want to, I don't know, get a, a student visa and then go there, try to make my way. So I took a look and I read about Express Entry. So I said, okay, I can go there as a permanent resident, like with everything properly done, I'll be safe, like in terms of my yeah. rights, 
I, I'll have time to establish myself. So yeah, I had to gather a lot of documentation, like education, yeah. IELTS, uh, background checks. I had to, uh, to provide a proof of funds that I could maintain myself for the first months until I got a job. So, so it's an interesting process. So you, were a, so you were a permanent resident on the first day you stepped foot in Canada. Yeah. And yeah, and just to make sure I was making the right decision, like during the process, I came here as a tourist with a tourist visa oh, for one week. And then I visited Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, just to understand how things are and somehow choose a city. So it, that, that was in 2017. So we came here eight days and then went back. And then after my process was approved and then we landed here as permanent residents. Yeah. Took a lot of courage. Like it was a bigger step than I was used to, but I thought I have to do something with my life and I can't be too slow. <laughs> right. And did you bring your partner with you? So the, the yeah. person yeah, my wife, with, yeah, my wife and my dog came with me yeah. again from day one. So it's good to have this support until today. Like imagine being here alone during a yeah. global pandemic. During a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is, that's really, really nice. It's a, I like that story. Uh, and then the, the whole thing here is different because just stepping back a little bit and explaining yeah. how things work in Brazil. If you want to work for the government there, there are public processes where you like you sign up for those you just write a test and the best scores are higher like yeah. no interviews it's, it's it's totally different so you have to study you have to know the subject write a test if you score among the amongst the top scorers you're right sorry you're hired and here i was like okay i have to learn how to do an interview a job interview yeah. i have to know how to write a resume using canadian standards cover yeah. letter and all those things and there was also a challenge with the, the language because even though i had studied english in brazil like you can't be fluent unless you're living in english right. yeah I, I i still have my insecurities about my accent but overall i'm much more confident having conversations and understanding what people say because it's easy to read but when you start uh, hearing different accents you're like what the hell i don't know anything yeah so my first two months were getting used to this new life, but now I'm happy. Uh, I don't regret anything that I did. That's wonderful. So, and and wonderful. now, now I am where I want to do, or where I want to be. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, now you came, you came, and you got the got the job at Click Click Health, uh, where I we both work together. Where we work together, we're both here, um, and. What was that? What was that start like? What What were you doing right out of the gates? Just uh, talking about my first week before Click. Okay, perfect. I, yeah. I, I, I actually had two job offers: one from okay. Click and one from another company. I don't want to mention. Yeah. And one thing that made me choose Click, like without second thought, was the way I was treated during the interview. Right. I think this is important for us because at some point we are going to interview people as well. Yeah. And at this other company, I felt I was treated like they are trying to make me fail. 
yeah like let, let's ask tricky questions let's put pressure let's do this and at click they were like let's just see if this guy is a good fit yeah like he scored well in the online test yeah the steps before the the in-person interview so they were trying to see if i was a good fit fit for the team so i felt welcome instead of feeling judged or right. pressured to fail well so that's like, a yeah. really that's a really interesting point because one of the things that i have recently realized about myself and my own anxieties around programming and interviewing is in all of these cases we have the the dreaded code interview i mean up on i let me two seconds here i mean i have um book i have gail lackman's book algorithms oh this is not gail's book this is something else this one i have cracking the coding interview somewhere up here mm -hmm. as well but this one i bought as a recommended book for backfilling my lack of knowledge about um the algorithms that they test for mm -hmm. in these you know the, these stories and i've done one of these at uh amazon they bring you into a room they hand you a dry erase marker and they say and over the course of four hours they have you solve on a whiteboard um you know gotcha like gotcha questions right so, things that you will not have done if you are a professional programmer in mm -hmm. 10 years and um so now this is the state of the world that we're in and uh and i understand that that's just the way it is um but since the last i the last interview i did was four years ago or so maybe six years ago mm -hmm. at this point and it was just such an effort because you 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 go to this thing you have to take a half day off of work or a full day you have to go into this room where this it's it's like a pressure cooker of coding and it's fun don't get me wrong it's also mm -hmm. fun like if you like coding it's kind of fun but if you come out of these things after putting that level of effort in and they say oh I know that you really busted yourself and you had a good time and you enjoyed connecting with the people in the room and you're really excited about the new possibilities in your life, but you're just not good enough. You're not good enough to join us. We're too, you're, we're too good for you here. And, you know, one of these times I, uh, I had this coding test and this one was one that was on a laptop and, and, I write the I write the JavaScript and I'm using raw pure JavaScript because they say oh we could mm -hmm. you you can use underscore we have underscore JS installed in the library and I say well I don't really know that but I could I mm -hmm. tap 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 and I write it all up in pure I document dot get out straight out of my head too right because these are just things that I had been playing playing around with and so I write this all up. A week goes by, I think I nailed it because I solved their problem. And, and the response was that I just don't seem to know 
underscore well enough. Like, why would I write? Why would I write in Nate? You know, and it's just so you're at these interviews, you're putting your soul on the line. You're saying, please like me. Please, please be, please let me join you. And this whole time that this is going on, you're not maybe not lying to your colleagues and your friends in your day job, but you're certainly afraid to tell too loudly that you're going on an interview for feel of fear of repercussions. And so I don't know, that's a long rant. And this interview is supposed to be about you. <laughs> but I mean, the bottom line that I have is I hate programmer testing because of the anxiety. And I've walked away. I've walked away from half of the, I've walked away from Facebook. I walked away from Amazon. I walked away from Shopify because I cannot right now in the spot that I'm in right now, I can't. And at the end of the pandemic, right? Because we're broken at the end of this pandemic in a lot of ways. And I can't bring myself to walk into this sort of room and say, please like me and have them go, nah, you're kind of shitty. Maybe you should, maybe you should have gone to computer science school. You know, maybe you should have gotten a CS degree so you can solve this whiteboard thing after anyways. So, sorry, this is your interview. But, <laughs> you have good points. Yeah. Really good points. Because I don't know if there's some psychology behind that, but I don't feel that those things reflect real world scenarios. Right. Because... <laughs> It's a like recurring joke, but you have Stack Overflow there. <laughs> the thing is, like what differentiates two developers is someone who goes to Stack Overflow and copies and pastes, and someone who goes there, understands the idea, and then creates their own solution. <laughs> right. So yeah, I don't think whiteboard reflects real world scenarios on that aspect. I don't know. But anyway, it was a great thing that happened to me. Yep in this job interview. So I joined Click actually as a web developer, not right. full stack as I am today. Yep. But in the first days, like you were one of, the, one of the people I told, hey, I know more than just HTML, CSS and JavaScript. Like, yeah. can I do more? Yeah. Because I was told like, whenever you want to do like to touch backend code, talk to Alex first. Yeah. And I was like, sure. And then we had a coffee there. We talked about this and we were like, sure, like do it. Send me yeah. DPRs. Yeah. And then I can, it actually I can, helped me out because yeah. I, did, I hadn't, haven't had any contact with .NET before joining Click. Yeah. I had worked with Java, PHP, and I had the theory, but I hadn't seen a single code of .NET before in my life. Yeah. And now I'm proud to say that I lead my team yeah. as a backend developer, as sort of an architect on my side of the team. Yeah. So can I, can I take a moment to tell you my perception of, of that coffee that we had? How, that was two and a half years ago. Yeah. We had that coffee. Yeah. I joined click in January, 2019. So yeah. almost two and a half, two and a half years ago. So, you know, here I am, here I am. And there's a whole team of the front end, the whole front end team who are doing effectively HTML tags and a little bit of JavaScript and you know this guy with 
you know, broken English, broken English. So it was, you know, it was an, and I, I have to say you're just night and day between how much you've gotten better on that. Like it's, <laughs> it really is like, you just so, you have so improved in your command of the language and, and your ability to make yourself understood. But this, you know, this guy says, you know, I'd like, I'd like to talk to you. Can I have a coffee? And I think, of course, of course, why wouldn't I, you know, of course. And um, you sat me down and you said something to the effect of, I want your job. I want to be doing what you're doing. And I said, holy shit, this guy's been here a week and he has taken the bull by the horns. And, you know, you had me sold in that second and every step of the way since that moment that to my perspective, you asked me for a favor. And I have been trying time and time again for as long as I have known you to make good on that, on that promise of, cause we talked, we talked and you said, how do I get to the spot that you're in? And I think I said a few things. I said, take ownership of everything. Take command of the situation where appropriate. Make sure that when you come to the person who owns the project, that you have solutions and not problems. Um, and when, when there is a void in leaders, in technical leadership, or, I mean, it all boiled down to the buck stops with you. And if I think about it, that's exactly who you were in Brazil working for the Engineering Standards Agency because there were five technical people and there was nobody else to point to in the room to say, no, nah, they'll do it. You just say that, okay, there's a problem. It's mine now and I'm going to solve it. And mm -hmm. I really feel like you have been doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm biased because you sold me in the, in that first meeting <laughs> where you said, you know, please help. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've been watching and I'm so impressed and, you know, uh, is proud the word that I would use without patronizing you? Like, can I, <laughs> you know, is that, is that reasonable or is that? Uh, of course. Look. Anyways, like I'm just, anyways. So that was my perception of that meeting. And I think if there was somebody watching who wanted to know how to find an advocate on the team, they should consider the lesson that you've taught me is if you're looking for somebody to help you improve, you ask for help. Uh, that, like that's a really good piece of career advice to my mind. And you taught me that. You, it's the example that you led by on mm -hmm. that. So anyways, I interrupted you again. This is your <laughs> interview. Um, no, you raised, again, really good points. And you made me like, feel welcome more confident. And again, I think it's a great behavior for us to have as lead developers or senior developers, whatever you want to call. It's like, no matter how junior the person may be, if they come uh, to you asking for help. For just a second, just a second. Um, one thing that I've learned recently, uh, or at least I've seen an example of, is um, referring to 
developers who are new in their career as new in career or early career developers rather than junior because there is okay. a in terms of the uh the language that is also that can sometimes be diminutive or or make okay. somebody feel a little lesser anyways so but so here we are we're talking about the early career developers go on yeah so whenever they reach out to you and ask for help or advice or say that they want to advance like never tell them to just wait there like you still have to learn you still need some time like it, it's something that I don't know, makes us feel like bad or lose motivation because they're like so energized and you want to learn more and do more. And then if someone tells you to just settle for a little bit, like, no, wait, you're not in a position to do more things or to embrace yeah. more things, you yeah. lose motivation. You're like, okay, maybe I'm not as good as I thought. Right. So whenever you have someone motivating you and pointing you towards the right direction. It's, it's a great career, a motivational factor. And you, you may help someone like two, three years later to be one of the strongest developers in your team, like most important people. And again, I'm not talking only about coding. Like but someone this, actually takes In this respect, ownership. I would say you are one of the strongest on the, uh, uh, we can't name the client exactly, but like you've, you've just, risen to uh you know the real keystone of that but uh, yeah so you you really have grown into i mean you probably already were but you've really grown into that i, I learned a lot in the past two years like yeah i had some experience of course i had faced challenge challenging situations and situations where you didn't have uh the resources you needed or some situation where you were told to do something the wrong way and you're like, I don't want to do this just because it's faster. Yeah. So sometimes it's hard. So in the last two years, I learned a lot. And again, not only about coding, because of course I learned a lot about coding as well. Like everything I know about .NET comes from the right. last two years. Yeah. I improved my JavaScript a lot. I improved on CSS, like SAS structures, componentizing things. So in every aspect of coding, but also a word that I, I hear a lot, which is ownership, like taking right. ownership, taking the initiative, taking leadership. Like, like you said, take this project or this task and make it your own, like right. take care of it until it's properly done. Not only done, but properly done. Right. So with the best outcome, because it's, we're not supposed to be just one more. Like this is another lesson that my mom taught me. Like, don't settle. Like, don't get used to being just one more. You should try to be the one. Right. Sometimes you can't. You can't be. Like, but at least aim for that. Like, always give your best. Yeah. So it was a good thing. Like, and I had the opportunity to do this here and be recognized by the things I do. So I yeah. felt. Now I'm valued. Like I, I, I'm giving my contributions, and people are seeing that. So it's not about receiving compliments. Like it's yeah. not about that. But it's about like yes, this thing you did contributed to the success of our company, of our client. So you're like, okay, mission accomplished. I have yeah. that feeling that okay, I did something that was worth doing. Yeah. So let's take a let's take a break to go into the technology that you've worked with in the last. 
year. You say you've learned a lot of JavaScript in the last year, and you've learned all of the C sharp that you all of the C sharp or the .NET that you know. Um, so tell me some of the things that you know now about JavaScript, for example. What are what are the lessons you've picked up in that time? Mm, okay. Start. Where can I start? Yes, six for sure. <laughs> it helps a lot, but yeah. then you have problems with browser compatibility. Yeah. So I had to learn a little bit of oh, about task runners like Gulp, Babel, transpiling code, so, uh, optimization. Yeah. We're, we're having this struggle right now, like learning more about optimizing page speed without sacrificing SEO. Yeah. And improving how we modularize our code, uh, like create components, import right. smaller pieces, because in the end, it's not just about running code, but it's about doing things properly again. Right. The best outcome. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like, especially HTML and CSS, they're too, too permissive. You can make mistakes, like you can leave a tag not closed and Chrome is going to fix that for you. So yeah, but Firefox if, won't or so, right? So got, or I mean, or Safari won't. I mean, Firefox yeah. does a lot for you, but Safari then you have, hates you. <laughs> yeah, we are making this joke uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago that we don't have to support IE 11 anymore. Yeah. And, and now Safari is the new IE. Yeah. So you have everything working perfectly except for Safari. Right. For some very specific situation, it's going to run most of your code, and then yeah. there's that one function call that doesn't work properly. And yeah, then yeah, you, then you're screwed. And so what are the what are the features? So you said that ES six helps things a lot, but you have to transpile it into transpile or uh, convert from the ES six framework into the stuff that's runnable in all browsers. What are some of the features of that that you've picked up? I mean, is it arrow functions? Is yeah. it? Arrow functions, like sometimes for uh, for loops, like for off, instead yeah. of having to do oh, array yeah. for each. Yeah. But then you're going to have problems with that on IE. Yeah. Sometimes you need polyfills. So you start having other problems that you have to deal with that before you actually use those things. Because right. then QA is going to catch that too late in the process. So yeah. yeah, polyfills become your friend. Right. Okay. Okay. So it's, and then it's mostly that like not too anything too specific. Like we're still trying to separate things more and yeah. do more of the logic, like server side doing API calls. So our, yeah. one of the goals is to move to static websites. So yeah. completely decouple like the website from the logic behind like form submissions, emails, whatever. Right, so for, for anybody uh, listening, why don't you describe the architect? I kind of wanted to do a bit of .NET, but this is actually a really interesting point too. So describe the architecture. What is a, I, I mean, you're effectively talking about a serverless static website, right? So. Describe all of the parts and how they fit together for us. Okay, so for the front-end part, you're going to have the standard HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and then you assemble this thing 
however you want. On our case, we are planning to use non-jobs again because we want to have a framework supported by a big company like Mozilla. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. And then, so you can use Gulp or Webpack, whatever, to yeah. compile, transpile your JavaScript, CSS, and then have those minified files to, ready to be hosted somewhere. Yeah, and, and so your, your hosting for that would be a CDN or a content delivery network or something like yeah. something like Amazon S3. Yeah, and S3 bucket yeah. is a good choice like for its low cost compared with an actual hosting environment that's run that runs Windows Server, for example, for .NET right. solutions. Yeah. It's a huge difference in terms of cost, like financial costs. Yeah. You probably need something like a uh, CloudFront distribution yep. layer to handle that communication, uh, routing, and all those things, like to make that website, like those files, actually be a website that, that's served through any URL. Right. And, and then for the backend, like if you have any logic like for APIs or saving data, connecting to database, and then you have multiple choices because since you kept everything separated, your JavaScript call is going to target an endpoint. Yep. It doesn't matter what that endpoint does. So you can have .NET Core or Node, whatever, Python. And then that runs in a separate instance. And then you just consume data through that API call. Right. So, and so one of the way. other one of the other advantages that you have from that is like so so completely separating these two pieces. This thing, the the back end, the API can update um, independently of the front end, and you could completely reskin your front end website yep. without ruining without risking the functionality and so there are some real advantages to that um, and, and, and even in the back end you can replace that with a completely different language you can build something in .NET and then you say no I want actually my back end to be in node now for some reason right as long as you keep that contract the same you receive the same fields and return the same fields you can change it to whatever you want right okay and then you can have more specialized developers if you want like yep. you need someone who actually knows deeply some solution you can have them work on on that area without having to know all those pieces and how to connect them yeah now have you done i mean have you done any of these many of these do you support one in legacy because i seem to remember one of our colleagues was really into serverless just before he went on somewhere else. But like, are you are you currently running any of these in production or is this a theoretical future state you'd like to get to? Yeah, this is actually being architectured right now. We don't have anything running. We have static websites without backend. Okay. Those we have in production. But we're designing now like the, the complete solution. Yeah. And it's okay. gonna be used in the near future. Like, Probably second half of this year, we're gonna have, we're gonna start offering the, this possibility to our clients. Okay. Or new projects, more, and maybe start things, with smaller projects. And yeah, then. one of the things I really want to know about how you handle in this sort of decoupled space 
is how are you going to handle something like uh, CSRF or cross-site scripting attacks where you, um, you've, you've got to put a verification token into the form so that you're not, like, how are you going to handle the security concerns that come up when this stuff comes around? Or is that, is that future Arthur's problem? Yeah, it's it's a future problem, but one thing okay. that I know for sure, like we use Amazon for our solutions, our yeah. hosting solutions. So we're, we're going to leverage those things. Probably something related to the CloudFront distribution, yeah. not distribution. Yeah, I got blank here. But I think it's CloudFront distribution. Like it, it can handle those things. And you have like, what's it called? Credential store. It's something related to this term. You, you have some something there to, to handle credentials. So you're going to have your API call. Then you're going to take a look at the credentials on the backend side already and then move forward. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Future, uh, future Arthur is going to be future problem. Out. Yeah. It's, hey, we're yeah. still studying that. So, yeah. I don't have somebody the might solution comment. right now. <laughs> somebody, might, somebody might post in the YouTube comments that they know how to handle CSRF on static sites and maybe you get your answer for free, right? Sure. And luckily yeah. this is an interview, not a tutorial. So we're fine. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We're just chatting. We're not fixing things in the world. Okay. Um, so I know that you, uh, so I guess we're sort of up to the present day. We've talked about, you know, what we didn't talk about is, is this your, your thoughts on .NET. So my understanding is you've, we, you had a bit of .NET framework, and now you are hosting at least two, maybe three production websites written in .NET Core? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Okay, so two or three. Yeah. Two or three. Uh, and you've got all of this in the last year. Tell me, yeah. from top to bottom, your thoughts on, on .NET and focus on Core, if you like, or, you know, what are the things... How would you describe .NET to somebody? How would you describe your relationship to it? Well, .NET Core and Framework, I think they provide two slightly different experiences. Yeah. Like the first, actually, the first thing that motivated us to take a look at Core was because most of our developers use MacBooks. <laughs> so you just can't run .NET Framework on MacBooks unless you use a virtual machine. And the developer experience there, it's poor. Like it's yeah. a heavy solution and they, they have two environments or they dislike Windows, I don't know. There are yeah. several reasons. Each, each person has their own reason. Uh, but about the code and C-sharp itself, it's not complicated to read, of course. You have a learning curve, but yeah. it's not as complicated to read as Java, for example. Because right. Java feels so, you have so many things written in the same line, like to, just to declare a function and object and import things. So I think C sharp is cleaner. It's efficient. Like it, I think it runs fast. Like don't have it, is, it is very fast. It is very yeah. fast. But one thing that I don't like about .NET framework is having to include every single file in the CS project file. Right. And frequently, people that prefer to use VS Code, for example, they forget yeah. to do that. Yeah. So you can catch those things on runtime yeah. because the compiler doesn't tell you, hey, you're, you're using this partial word, this CSS file, and it doesn't exist. 
So that's my main concern there. Yeah. I like how we have new get packages so that we can leverage yeah. and make our lives easier. Uh, and in .NET Core, you don't have that environment environment issue. Just yeah. run whatever you want, like Linux, Mac, macOS, Windows. Uh, the way you handle, uh, I forgot what, what do you mean. Oh, like server things like that you you would probably do using webconfig on .NET Framework. Yeah. You now do on startup.cs with yeah. middleware. So you have yeah. all those, use this, use that, use that. Yeah. So I think it's a nice approach to do that programmatically yeah. instead of doing that with markup. Yeah. Uh, what else? Yeah, and then in terms of hosting, we had to change things slightly because our original testing host server runs Windows and then for .NET Core, we had to install a, a Beanstalk instance to yeah. handle this. And deployment time is so slow. Yeah. Like, I already think that, that .NET Framework is a bit slow, like sometimes 10 minutes to deploy a project. For deployment. And Core, yeah. and core is like 30, 40 sometimes. Yeah. I am finding so, that too. Now, um, some of the things that I, I uh, think about that is because yeah we, we do go through the ebs route um my understanding is that if you move into something like docker containers um you can get this stuff to deploy a lot faster because um the the docker is very fast because it caches like 90 percent of mm. of the image that you were so it's a virtual machine and each docker file creates a new virtual machine and so if you structure your thing properly it's just like compile this little bit and chuck it onto that machine you already have um you, you have to build it right so i i wonder if there are some ways to improve our deployment speed by moving to containers but i haven't worked in it in in containers in a long time and so and we need to at least at our organization wait until we have the hosting team up to speed on because they're they're actually actively working on containers they're super excited by it but because we work in an enterprise environment it takes time for the other teams to skill up you can't just like flip the apple cart and go forward with this new paradigm because you think it's cool. So I'm not sure if it's going to be faster in Docker, but I, I have some belief that it might be. Um, anyways, so we're up to, oh, go on. I just, I had just two comments about that. One you already mentioned here that we need more people interested in that and supporting that. Like right. It can't be just like, you and your team, my uh, myself and my team, because what happens when you're on vacation or what happens yeah. if you quit? We have to yeah. think about like from the company well, perspective as well. Takes off, right? Really? Like, <laughs> yeah, but that would I would quit for that. I would quit yeah. to be a model. Uh, so there should be a plan not only to yeah. learn that and adopt that, but also to spread the knowledge and have more yeah. people supporting that. Yeah. And, and the second thing is, at least from from my perspective and the things we we're doing right now, we. 
even though we moved to .NET, not sorry to .NET Core, looking at it as an improvement from framework. Yes, we are already thinking about the next step, which we talked about. Which you're talking about? You think serverless static websites? Yeah, static yeah. serverless is the way to go. Yeah, um, because in one of the reasons, like we mentioned, deployment, like deployment in ten seconds, it's it's yes. better than in forty minutes. So yes. and it's simpler for again for for you to have specialized developers in each of those things because not every front end developer wants to know .NET, for example. They yeah. want to focus on front end stuff, and they have the right to do that. They are web developers, and they chose yeah. that career path. Yeah. So when you allow people to specialize and focus on what they actually want to do, I think you're more productive and keep keep the team happier. Right. Have better results. Yeah. So in, in, in terms of spreading and sharing the knowledge along with sort of getting other people excited about these initiatives, I mean, this pot, pot, that is part of the goal of this podcast. I mean, we've got you know, we want developers to think more critically about developing. We want developers to engage and be more excited by the things that they're working on. Um, you know, to to be able to spark these conversations, and um, you know, especially this stuff about um, career advice or or how to how to be a better developer. Right? How, what are the things that would really, how do we move ourselves forward? And I know that you were, you were really interested in focusing on that part of the, the experience here. So, I mean, we all come to it, we all come to these interviews with some goals in mind of things we're hoping for for ourselves. And, and I think you've had some thoughts on just high level career advice around how to be good and how to make sure that other people in your organization or possibly externally, how, how to make sure that they recognize how good you really are. And so why, why don't you start by telling me about some of that, some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, so without wanting to play the coach here, just sharing a bit of advice here. Well, first I saw your podcast and I was thinking, I want to give my contribution like i want to do something helpful yeah. instead of just talking about my about my career or i don't code i want to, to provide something more something more meaningful and then by coincidence i saw an article talking about netflix and their ceo saying that a good developer is worth i think he said he said 10 times uh, like the I, best developers are, are uh, 10,000 10 times, uh, 10 10. times better than average. And then he quoted Bill Gates, who supposedly yeah. said that uh, the best developers are 10,000 10, times more valuable 10, yeah. than just average ones. Yeah. And that's why they pay higher salaries for those people. And it got me thinking, like, of course, first of all, we don't work for those companies, yeah. but we also have our goals and we can have those. You can wish for those high salaries as well. But there's one thing that comes before in, the, in their quote. They say the best developers, right. not all developers. Right. So the first thing we need to think about is how can I be one of those best developers? And 
after that, then you, you can think about maybe I deserve more. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm not being valued as much as I think as I deserve. Right. But so, so if I'm to summarize your first statement, you're saying before you start walking in and saying, I need more money, make sure that you take a moment to say, okay, the best of us are the ones who are getting more money. Am I truly one of the best of us? Um, and and so, so how do you know if you are one of the best developers and how do you move towards being one of the best developers? Yeah, the first thing is look at yourself and never think you know enough. Like it's one of my motivations like so never be satisfied with what you already know so and, and then again i go back to what i said before like uh that knowing how to learn things is more important than right. know, just knowing things so keep improving don't just settle and keep doing like the everyday job because people will look at you and they'll think he's doing, he's normal. Like he's not improving. He's not doing anything yeah. better than he did the year before. So yeah, but to, to answer your question more, more directly, how to know if you are one of the, those best people, look around, like look at your team, look at other teams. Like what are your contributions to the success of your projects, of success of your company? So it, it's important to, to know the role that you're playing in that, that, that team. Are you just finishing tasks or are you improving things? You are making your process faster or less, less costly. So your contributions to the team say a lot about you. Yeah. So, and, and, so and this for, is, for, sorry, for somebody who is watching this externally, uh, finishing tasks would be uh, Jira tickets or, or things that are closing, closing tickets in your bug tracker. So that's, you know, so are you just opening the task, closing the ticket and moving on to the next one? Or are you taking the time to under, make sure you understand the root cause of the bug that, or the, the root cause of the issue that has come to you as a ticket to make sure that you don't just solve this one situation, but you solve it in the broader context of the entire project's deliverables. So, you know, okay. if we're talking, I mean, let's say we're Uber and there is a problem with your buy now button or your AB testing or something. And, you know, the real, I don't know where I'm going with this, but effect effectively, <laughs> like one solution is to set the button so it taps again. Another solution might be to set the button in a way where it increases sales, right? Like that's, you know, increase revenue. And, and that's a really trite example, but that's the thing. Like you're trying to look below the ticket to get more you're trying to bring more of yourself and more improvement to the system overall i think so yeah you have to to have a, a global view of the projects yeah because 
I don't like, I'm trying to think of an example, but imagine it's something related to layout and they're like, on mobile, this is happening. Like positioning is wrong. You go there to the CSS, position it correctly, commit. And then you just broke desktop. You broke desktop, or, yeah. Or maybe there was a reason for that to happen. So yeah. one thing that frequently happens is that people come to you with a problem and people start thinking about the solution. And what I like to do, and that I will go back like half an hour ago, where you asked me, asked me about the university. And we learned that we have to think about the problem first. Mm -hmm. Then you think about the solution. Because right. maybe it's not a problem. Or maybe it's the wrong problem. Yeah. And then sometimes I make a joke, like an analogy with transportation. So imagine you live in Toronto. Your office is in downtown. You live in downtown as well, or close to that. And then someone tells you, hey, I need to buy a helicopter to go to work. And you're like, yeah, a helicopter is a nice vehicle, but you can just walk five minutes. Yeah. So you're asking me to do the, the wrong solution. Like, it, this is not what you need. You need yeah. something else. You need a pair so, of shoes. Yeah. yeah. So if some people, sometimes it happens in software development when people come to you with a solution they want instead of yeah. telling you what the problem is. Right. So again, what, the best developers will know that. They'll, they'll tell the PM, client, whoever it is, hey, you're thinking about this from the wrong perspective. Like, right. This thing you mentioned is not the problem you're trying to solve. So maybe yeah. it's something else. Yeah, so that's, that's one of the things that I find when we're getting uh, tickets coming in. Well, it's really important to say, why am I, why am I solving this? And, and I think about, we had, actually, this is one we had recently where a form submission was failing the um, business requirements document because the first name field or the name field validation was supposed to be limited to the letters A to Z, A to Z. There was nothing else allowed except for the lowercase and uppercase ASCII alphabet. So, and mm -hmm. um, and I was failing in my QA task because I was allowing apostrophes and UTF eight characters like the O with a slash through it, and like mm -hmm. you know, you know, and. Um, the ticket comes in and they say, nope, it's only, it's not supposed to accept anything but these characters. So if I was just a, a jobbing programmer, if I was just closing tickets, I would quite easily go AZAZ -A -Z in the, in the, in the regex, in the regular mm -hmm. expression and be done with our day. But instead I had to go and sort of advocate on behalf of the end user to say, you know, we really want somebody named O'Donnell to be able to, you know, sign up to, to sign up to our client's website. Um, the funniest part of the story is I actually lost the argument at first, and it had to take it had to come back to me a week later. Where they, <laughs> so sometimes you, you can't fix everything, but at least you can 
you know, you can get overruled and move on with your day. But I did, I did fight for that. I did fight and I was yeah. embarrassed and, uh, but we fixed it eventually when somebody, somebody finally figured it out. But um, anyway. It must be a frustrating situation it is hard. to have a form. Like we mentioned the company here. Everybody knows we work like, providing you can, you services can. to pharma. Imagine yeah. you're doing something health related you went to you go to fill a form and you get to write your name properly yeah well so this is i actually saw this on twitter um yesterday where someone i wish i could remember their first name but their last name was lee l-i uh or lou l-u or something i wish i could remember either part of the name but it was it was a two character uh Asian name and you know they said this is racist because the validation said you must have at least three characters in your name and that's so common there like and to have just so two characters common and it's so yeah. common billions billions of people have a two character last name exactly. and this I you know and this website says you 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 can't sign up with us <laughs> it's a, i mean and my philosophy on this is if a human wants to fool your form they will figure out a way to do it right you know so it says oh you've got to have three characters you go one two you know one two three oh you can't have numbers xxx i mean no matter what we come up with in terms of validation on a form submission, a human can fool it, right? Or we spend months and months and thousands of dollars on writing the ultimate validation. And there's no marginal value in that, right? You know, you're not gonna spend, you know, $10,000 to make sure that somebody can't go HJH, you know, you know, done. So, a little validation to act as an advocate for the customer is really, really good. It's really nice to have a little bit of validation. Um, and for security issues, like prevent security issues, and yeah. then you're fine. Like yeah. injection, as long as you deal with those things. Yeah, but it, I mean, strict, strict validation is, in my opinion, just just don't do it. Don't do it. There are too many people that you are potentially cutting out from your product if you're doing something at that level. Anyways, yep. it's so Yeah. So making good choices. <laughs> yeah. We're so, making that point. And I remember the conversation with Kai and you spent some time uh, sorry, talking about. Sorry, 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 sorry. Cut you off. Cut you off. Actually, wait. I, so let me let me cut you off. And then we're going to be okay with it. So one of the rules that I'm trying to work with on the podcast is that we do not name individuals who are not on the podcast and who have not consented to be on the podcast. Okay. Actually, I, I, I was mentioning the previous interview. But, but we're talking about Kai. We're talking about Kai, okay. who was in the last interview. So this is actually fine. And I... I but I can, we can cut the name. I can just mention the situation. Oh, it's, it's Kai. He was in the last interview. People will have the opportunity to go back yeah, and watch, watch what yeah. Kai and then, 
Yeah, so talking about uh, good choices, I remember that conversation about React. Like, uh, right. Yeah, you had, like, you spent some time, like, your team spent some time considering React for several reasons. And again, we fall into the same situation. React is a nice tool, right? a nice framework, but you have to make a good choice. Like, I have a specific request. Does yeah. it apply to my current request? Because you can just use React for everything you see yeah. every day. Yeah. So making good yeah, choices, like choose choose the appropriate framework. Sometimes right. you have like a, a one-page website with no forms, with nothing, just images, copy, disclaimers, whatever. You don't need React for that. So right. make good choices. Just don't just go with the framework, like the trending framework. Yeah. And something not related to code that we also mentioned a little bit before, like playing a leadership role in terms of innovation, mentoring. So keep doing research, try to keep trying to improve process, reduce costs. Yeah. Because I remember one of the first conversations I had with our VP at the time, I was like, I want to do something to, to improve profit, like increase profit. And he was like, actually, if we can reduce costs, that's yeah. more important than yeah. increasing profits. And then again, great lesson learned. I yeah. think from a different perspective, actually all our conversations with that VP were very productive because yeah. everything I mentioned to him, he had a different perspective to, to show me. Right. Yeah. Like think from this side, think from that side. And then I left the conversation wiser. <laughs> Yeah, and we have that, I mean, a lot more to think about. <laughs> that's that's one of the things that they say in in uh, business school is that there are two ways to make money, and one of them is to bring in more revenue, and the other is to pay is to reduce costs. costs. Now, as you know, as programming is sometimes a high cost endeavor, that finding a way to do that is directly increasing profit. So, it, I mean. Certainly that's, you know, that's true. So here we are, we have a whole bunch of strategies nailed down or at least, you know, in the back of our head around how do we become better programmers? How do we become one of the best programmers on our team? How do we make sure that we get acknowledged as such both internally and externally in the wider community, because there are, you know, there are two ways. If, if we are talking about leveling up in our careers, there are two ways to go about it. We can either level up internally and get promotions, or we get noticed and we move to something that is the next step on a, on an external track. So how do we, how do we manage both of those? How do we manage that recognition piece? Yeah, from my understanding, the first thing you should do is understand your company's business first. Yeah. I, I gave two personal examples where it took me some time to understand and to accept my situation. I was in a position where no matter what I did, I would be in the same position not only myself, everybody working in the same company. So you have to understand, do I work for a company with clear career paths? 
that values uh, achievements and you know great contributions to the company, or is it just like let's keep the business running? So right. first, understand where you are, and let's suppose you are in that situation where you have career progression. Keep track of all your achievements, all your contributions, because it's so easy to forget something like that you did last year or months ago, because it's a fast paced environment. So even small things, they add up. And yeah. in the end, you have a whole list of contributions that you're like, hey, my team or my company, my projects one year ago were in this situation. And because I acted, I coded, I improved, I mentored, I improved my relationship with PMs and other teams. Now yeah, we project are managers, yeah. Project managers, so, and other teams like creative, like designers, yeah. UX, every, everyone that works on the same project as you. Yeah. Like you took the team from here to there with your suggestions, yeah. your improvements, and your work. Like yeah. Your yeah. actual work. So, so can I, I want to ask about the oper operationalization of that because I, I was speaking with somebody just the other day um, and I was asking him about his LinkedIn. And I said, looks like you haven't touched this in a while. And I said, do you not update it? And he said to me that he doesn't update his LinkedIn because it, and this is not somebody who works with us. This is from a different, this is somebody who works at a different company, I should say. I, I am certain that our company has no problem with updating your LinkedIn. But the impression I got in this discussion with this other fellow was that he said, he in fact said, if I update my LinkedIn, it generates negative attention. And my impression of what that meant, I didn't dig too deeply at that time, was perhaps his boss or somebody at the company that they work at um, is actually monitoring the LinkedIn for people who are currently updating their profile as a warning flag that this person might be thinking of of looking externally, you know, they're trying to raise their profile externally and could that bring negative attention? So do you write this, you say keep track of this stuff, do you write it down? Do you have it in a Google doc? Do you have it in a spreadsheet? Do you update your LinkedIn all the time? What do you do to make sure that you store this stuff so you have it when you need it without negative attention? It should be a, a personal record, like you keep, like like you mentioned, a Google Doc, something yeah. for yourself, organized in a way that you understand better, like, I don't know, if it's by project or by area of expertise. Yeah. And you choose whatever works best for you. But also maybe take a look if your company has any kind of progression plan or yeah. job description and try to match the things you're doing to right. the job, the position that you want, right? To uh, where you want to be. So try to match those things. But again, keep things to yourself because unless you're looking already looking for another for another uh, sorry, you are already looking for another job. It, you shouldn't be updating your LinkedIn LinkedIn with your current projects. So it's I'm talking more about like career progression inside your current company. So right. keep track of okay. the things you're doing. Okay. Yeah. yeah, this is the first step. 
keep track of the things that you're doing, all your contrib contributions, achievements, and how your team and your company actually improved as consequence of your right. uh, contributions. Yeah. Do you set any sort of, and so, and you, I'm assuming that you actually actively do this, but do you set any sort of reminder, like on a monthly recurring basis to say, you know, take half an hour to type in my thing, the things that happened in the last month or quarterly, how, how often do you do this? And my trigger is actually when I do something different. Okay. So we, we keep doing a lot of the same due to the, due to the nature of our business. So yeah. you're coding HTML, you're coding JavaScript. So whenever you find some performance improvement or a new setting for your server, like web config file, yeah. a new setting for, I don't know, security reasons, you're, or, or you're handling security updates with NPM, GitHub Actions, whatever you learn, yeah, oh, I you, love those. You're, you're like, oh, it's a new thing. I just learned yeah. this, applied somewhere, improved my process. Uh, right. Now it, we're taking less time to deliver. Or Then you keep track of those things. Because yeah. if you want to just keep track of the amount of things you're doing, you're like, yeah, I created 24 websites. Yeah, but it's 24 of the same, so you're not improving yeah. things. But then if you say, from this website to this one I improved, this yeah, thing and right. then the next one like my task runner is now better for this reason or it's transpiling for whatever we are fixing safari bugs by using this babel setting or whatever yeah so keep track of the improvements and of course like the, the amount of things is also important because you can't say i did this once now i deserve to be promoted right okay, like yeah i implemented this change and now it's reflecting in all subsequent tasks that we have and yeah after you have all this the only person who has the power to give you something a new title a new like a pay raise is your manager so okay you, sh you should feel comfortable talking to them about your achievements your aspirations like where you want to be and they should be weekly like have frequent conversations yeah keep your manager up to date and make your goals clear, totally clear, because they might say there's no opportunity in the nearby future. So maybe you're raising your expectations and you're gonna be frustrated later. So yeah. you have to, you must have an honest conversation with your manager and an honest relationship overall. So make your goals clear and work with them to achieve that. Like, what, what do I need to do? And what's my timeline? Maybe it's six months, maybe it's a yeah. year, or maybe you are already prepared. Uh, you already did everything you needed to do and they just yeah. didn't realize that. So you're ready for a promotion. Yeah. And, and so what do, you, what do you do if your manager doesn't have that power, doesn't agree with you, doesn't care, right? Like people get bad managers. That's a hard situation to be in. But again, we spend a, a huge part of our days working. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we, we can say like eight hours of sleep, ideally eight hours working, and then eight hours between free time and, I don't know, commute and meals, whatever. Well, yeah, that's, so, that's, that's the time you do your fun coding. <laughs> yeah, so between like eight, nine hours in a normal day. Yeah. It, you're working. So 
imagine spending eight to nine hours unhappy yeah and then stressed out and unhappy because of the work you already did and then yeah. you not sleep well or you not enjoy your weekend because you're gonna have to work on monday like it's a terrible feeling to have like to think oh no tomorrow is monday i have to work yeah so it's a clear sign that you're in the wrong place so take a look at the market Start looking outside. And actually taking a look at the market is important, even if you want to stay. Yeah. Because maybe you're severely underpaid. Yeah. You're like, I'm a, I don't know, let's say you are a senior web developer, senior front-end developer, and you make X. Yeah. Then you start getting messages on LinkedIn offering you 20K more, 30K more, yeah. I don't know, 50% raise. And you're like, yeah, what's happening in the market? Why? Am I not getting that? Like there are strangers offering me, inviting me to interviews, offering a lot more than I make. Yeah. So you have to use that information to talk to a manager as well. Yeah. And try to understand the company policy, like what's happening? Why I don't, maybe I don't deserve that. Maybe I have a wrong assumption about, about myself. Yeah. So that's why an honest yeah. relationship is, is important because Maybe you're like, oh no, I'm like, this is not fair. Like I don't have a, a fair salary or whatever. And then you talk to your manager and they're like, no, but you don't do this. Don't, you don't do that. You don't do that. And right. start pointing things like yeah. what I expect from someone in your position or in the next position is that you do all those things. It may be better communication with other teams, better, like more ownership of projects, take, like, be more independent instead right. of be more proactive instead of reactive. So that, those are all things that we can hear from our manager and that maybe we think we are ready, but we're not. Yeah. So, but, I mean, now here, here's a devil's advocate position. Um, <laughs> but if you're sitting in a room with, and so these things happen one-on-one -on -one, or you're on your Zoom call one-on-one -on -one with your manager and they're saying, this is a long list of the reasons that you're not good enough. Bam, 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 bam. And then there's somebody over here on the recruitment side saying, I don't care if you're good enough. I'll pay you 25% more to go learn it. <laughs> like, really? Are you, uh, what? <laughs> does, it, does it not make sense? Like, Listen, I've been 10 years at the same place. And so, I mean, I don't think there's a, uh, I don't think there's an argument that I don't believe in loyalty at your company. But at the same time, if you're, if you're sitting there getting sort of, you know, they're, they're, you're, they're putting their head on your, their hand on your forehead and holding you down, or somebody saying, I'll, you know, 25% more. I don't care if you're good. You just, you know, uh, I mean, they do, they care if you're good, but they, they just don't have that same expectation or typecasting or say, um, you know, no, well, you started as a web developer. And so the, the correct career path for a web developer is they become a senior, then they become a full stack and then they do this and that and the other thing. And so there's, there's a case to be made for finding those big jumps by 
hopping into another pond, right? And on top of that, on top of that, sometimes those other pawns have entirely new skill sets and modalities of working. And so is it possible that you can grow your knowledge and understanding exponentially by hopping to a new place, learning, learning how they do everything that they do and comparing and contrasting with your experience that you just picked up so it's like and then maybe that blending maybe that diversity becomes an even better model where you say you know from menu one i like items one four and seven like these things were really good at my old place and then you're at this new place and you say and i'm not arthur I'm not trying to tell you to quit, just to be clear. <laughs> I do not want to be on record on YouTube as saying anything of that. But I, I, I'm also trying to work through these thoughts myself, right? So I'm here. I know all of the good things about what we do. And then I go to this new place where they do five things in incredible new ways that I've never even considered but they've never even thought for a second about the five things over here that I know how to do that. And so by merging our practices, we can create something that's greater than the sum of its parts. And so is there value straight out of the box? Is that 25% value straight out of the box for that new race? Is that worth it to the person at the new place who hires you? I'm going to buy somebody in who knows a whole bunch of stuff that and in a knowledge industry, right? Oh, mm -hmm. that's my uh, that's my nine thirty go to bed alarm. So <laughs> <laughs> but you raised some points there, and it's not a straightforward decision, yeah, like, because there are so many things that that you know about your company, like the good things and the bad things. Yeah. When you take a look at another company, maybe you're gonna see the good things first. Yeah. You don't know the bad things. You're gonna know those you're gonna things see only what they after. Kill you, that's for sure. Yeah. The, maybe a good question to ask is how did your company or that company treated their employees during the pandemic? Right. So did they just started firing people or reducing this their salary by twenty five percent, as okay. we saw happening in other companies? Yeah. So I think this is really important. Like how do, do they treat their employees? It's like, just like workforce, like the, the guys, like the people who bring money to me or actually as people. Right. So it's a great question to ask. And then you keep going, asking questions related to your own values. Like, I don't know, I like remote work. Do they offer that or whatever reason, like what's the diversity on that company? Right. Like, yeah. So is it important for you? Because if it is, take a look at that. Yeah. And, and then keep going. Like sometimes technology is one of the last factors to think like what kind of languages do they use? Like what kind of frameworks? And they're like, right. I, I don't care. First, I want to know, do they respect people? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then yeah. And you can learn the you can learn the language. Yeah. But if you're working for terrible people, you're not going to be happy. And so, yeah. Okay. 
Well, um, I think this has been a really enjoyable conversation for me. Um, always, always is talking to you, but I mean, I think this one, I think I'm still in this spot where I don't feel like I talk about technology and architecture enough. And so <laughs> having the chance to, to have you share this with me has, I've really appreciated it, really enjoyed it. Um, and so I think if anybody wanted to reach out to you, are, do you have anything where they could follow up with you? Uh, would they look you up on LinkedIn? Would they look yeah, you maybe up LinkedIn, on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, LinkedIn or I'll take a look at the comments. And yeah. Okay. So there. you'll be you'll be watching the YouTube comments for people who have additional questions um, <laughs> and things like that. So there we go. That's I think uh, I think that's a good place to cut it. I can't recall exactly when we started, but I think we're almost two hours now. So let's say it's uh, a good. Oh, you're frozen again. <laughs> oh, oh no, you're back. I'm back. Okay, you're back. I was messaging you here, like, hey, yeah. I, I saw, I saw it come up. I have it on the screen there. Anyways, oh, yeah, I I'll take a look at the comments. Yeah, yeah. and please don't be mean. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm I mean, not here like acting like I, I'm the master of the truth or whatever. I just yeah. shared my experience, some point of view, points of view. But yeah, again, feel free to not agree with me and yeah. Yeah. As long as we keep everything respectful, I'll be answering it. Yeah. Anything that, that people post. That's really that's really great. I think I think the I think the previous video I think has thirty views so far. So, you know, all thirty people are <laughs> <laughs> not not all of them are going to have a question for you, but some might, and I think those few will appreciate it. So. Anyways, Questions, comments, criticism, like yeah, disagreements. Oh, oh, so that's yeah, the thing that always. I say. That's the thing that I say is is, you know, be nice to Arthur. But if you want to be mean to me, the YouTube algorithm doesn't care if you're nice or not, just that you're responding. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if I want the channel to grow, at least at first, you can be mean or nice. I don't care, but be nice to Arthur. <laughs> thank you and thank you for this initiative it's very nice to be able to share some experience here and maybe help someone like if one yeah. person like gets their career improved by yeah. our conversation and it's been worth i'm already it. happy yeah. yeah and it's been worth it i think well, i mean one of the things uh, so the last year the year of the pandemic has been so dark and and you know, it's just been put your blinders on, keep your head down, stay focused and move forward. And because I've got this two, I've got a beautiful two-year-old son. And so I've just been keep my head down, keep my blinders on, stay alive. So this kid has a father for as long as possible. And I think with the, with the end of the pen, with the vaccine rolling out, the end of the pandemic is coming into view. And the world after the pandemic is coming into view. And I think one of the things that I'm needing to do personally and emotionally to handle the shared global trauma of the last year that we've experienced together is I, 
I need to put out something positive in the world to offset everything that's happened and 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 not to put too fine a point on it, but I feel like sharing our experiences, you and I, and engaging in this process of deliberate reflection on our practice and our careers is the kinds of things that can help lift others who follow that as a model for their careers. Hopefully, I... I'm no, uh, you know, I'm no guru. I'm no genius. I'm not saying that this is the way to do it. I'm just saying that if that turns out to be true, that will fill the need I have in my soul at the end of the, at the end of this year of darkness and at the end of this year of, and, and the social interaction is so important, right? So important that we've gone so long without it. So there you sometimes, go. Uh, yeah. Sometimes we think we, we have adapted to this. We think, no, I'm dealing better. Maybe it's not as bad as, anymore. Like I'm dealing with this. And I was just sharing something with my family and telling them the other day, I just went biking. I can, my bike is here. Show yeah. you a bit. Like, it's like exercise is helping me a lot during yeah. this pandemic. So I was just biking by Woodbine Beach. And then the food truck there was open. And then it was a cold day. It was like between zero and four, something like this. Yeah. Celsius for those who use Fahrenheit. I mean Celsius. Yeah. And the food truck was open. So I said, yeah, actually, I'm going to stop here and have a hot dog. And then I sat there, one of those chairs, looking at the lake. And as I started eating, I felt like this is different. I thought everything was normal for me but mm. just sitting here and eating a hot dog at the beach in a cold day it, it's something i hadn't felt in a long time right it felt normal for five minutes yeah and then i realized yeah i i i'm not fully adapted any, uh, yet i'm not fully adapted yeah. yet it's yeah. not normal this yeah. thing is still insane because yeah. Sitting and eating a hot dog shouldn't feel so different. Right. Yeah. Well. But one of those small things that when you finally have a chance to do it, and in a responsible way, I was there by myself, not in a crowd, like yeah. maskless people, not responsibly eating a hot dog. And it felt so different. <laughs> um, what, what kind of world is it where you have to yeah. justify the method in which you, anyways, so, you know, we should probably, we should probably cut it before we both start crying, because I know that I've yeah. got a bit of that in me, but, so. Yeah, anyways. but there's hope, like, things are going to get better. We can't they stop are. believing. They are, we yeah. can see it, we can see yeah. it. I mean, my... we, we can't stop believing that yeah. things are going to get better, and we can't stop doing our part. Yeah. All right, Arthur. Thank Arthur, you so much Lorena, for this. thank you so much for the time. Um. I will be getting this online as soon as I can. I'll be watching it back and uh, probably take me a few days to cut it together and then uh, and you'll be live. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity. Right. See you. Right. So that's it. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, some meta updates about my remaining goals on, on this podcast and show in general. One of the things that I've decided is... Um, this is so much work that 
it makes a lot more sense to just put all of the effort that I have and all of the effort that I can put into making the best damn show it can be. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying doing this. And um, so I've dropped, I've dropped all of my plans around uh, the monetization angle of things. Uh, I, I don't think that, I think if the show is good, I can worry about that later, but if I keep enjoying it, then it's worth doing in its own right. So right at the, right at the end of this interview, I uh, hopped online and I ordered one of those really fancy um, boom mics with the, with the sound guards and everything. It's the, I got the Elgato 3, which is like a $300 microphone. Um, and, uh, I, I'm doing that so I can, so I can really start improving the quality of, of the work that I'm producing. I, I really think there's something here. I think that if I keep working at it, that, um, uh, we can make some, I can make something great for you. And, uh, maybe we can, maybe we can, build a whole community out of it. So thank you so much for stopping by, for watching through the video or listening to the podcast. Uh, please remember to like, subscribe, comment, uh, share with your friends who are hopefully also developers and interested in listening to uh, an old man drone on for over an hour about this kind of stuff. Uh, it's very exciting and fun for me, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Thank you, and uh, we will see you in the next episode.